The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks and kicking off this new trading week on a pretty strong note with the major indices notching their second straight day of gains. This is investors await the outcome of the U.S. midterm elections as both Democrats and Republicans, they fight for control of Congress. We're live in Washington looking at those key races and sticking to the plan of curbing inflation. New comments from one Fed head of the central bank's efforts to tamp down those sky-high prices. Lordstown Motors getting a $170 million investment from Foxconn as the two look to team up in the EV space. And that $1.9 billion Powerball drawing being delayed over security concerns. It is Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Election Day here in the U.S. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Futures at this moment just fractionally higher. We see the Dow could open up about 50 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq basically flat again, fractionally higher. Checking the bond market right now. Yields right now, again, elevated right now. We're seeing the 10-year note at 4.20, you know, the one down there, too. The two-year note at 4.705. This is a big issue this election, the rising cost of things. you got to remember the two-year note. It started the year off 4% lower than we're seeing right now. The 10-year note, about 2.5% lower when it comes to yield for both of them. Something to watch. Also, turning to energy. Oil right now trading, again, above 90 bucks a barrel. Another big issue for this election. WTI at almost 91 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at just over 97 bucks a barrel. Both of them a little bit lower this morning. And in crypto, we're seeing uh, some cryptocurrencies under pressure this morning ahead of the midterm election. That's a hot-button issue for this election. What either the GOP taking control of Congress, the Democrats retaining Congress will mean for cryptocurrency. Bitcoin down by 5%, Ether down by 7%, as well as XRP. All right, turning our attention overseas, a mixed session in Asia overnight as investors around the world await the results of the U.S. midterm elections. Japan's Nikkei and South Korea's Kospi notching gains of 1%, while the Hang Seng and the Shanghai indexes finished modestly lower. And now taking a look at the early trade over in Europe, a bit of a mixed picture right here. Uh, We're seeing right now the French CAC down just fractionally as well as the FTSE 100. All right, turning our attention back to the midterm elections here in the U.S., As polling stations prepare to open, Americans cast their ballots to decide the fate of Congress and many other key races. Candidates from both sides spending the final hours ahead of today's contest trying to lock in those critical votes in what's expected to be a highly contested election. NBC's Bree Jackson, she joins us now from Washington with much, much more on these midterms. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Frank. Well, we've been talking about this for some time now, and it's finally here, Election Day, with control of Congress and the president's agenda on the line as voters head to the polls. It is any choice between... A fight to the finish in one of the most consequential midterm elections. It's a choice between two very different visions of America. In the 11th hour, President Biden campaigned for Maryland's candidate for governor, Wes Moore, warning democracy is at stake and echoing an urgent plea for voters to ride the blue wave. 
Mr. Biden's low approval rating at just 44 percent could weigh down Democrats. Rallying for Republicans, former President Trump hinted at his own political future. We are going to take back our magnificent White House. While looking to give Ohio Senate candidate J.D. Vance and his party a boost. This is the year we're going to take back the House. We're going to take back the Senate. Republicans need to gain five seats in the House and flip just one seat in the Senate to grab hold of congressional power. Nine Senate races are considered competitive, including Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. Across the country, tensions are high amid election-related threats and allegations of voter intimidation. Officials are preparing to keep polls safe. We're monitoring any protests, um, any disturbances at the polling location from activists or people um, that want to sow any sort of discord in the election process. There's enthusiasm among voters to weigh in on issues like the economy, abortion, and crime. Get out and vote. Do your civic duty. Americans are turning out in historic numbers. More than 42 million votes have been cast already, with millions more expected to vote in person today. And the Justice Department announced that it will monitor polls in 24 states today to ensure that no one interferes with the voting process. Frank? So, Bree, what about the race in Georgia and the deadline there being extended? What's the latest on that? Yeah, Frank, yesterday a federal judge or excuse me, a judge had extended the deadline uh, to November 14th. Now, this after more than a thousand people who requested a mail-in ballot did not receive one. Now, as you know, it's a close U.S. Senate race there in Georgia. And so this means that Election Day could extend to Election Week and possibly longer. All right. NBC's Bree Jackson. I'm sure it's going to be a busy day with the midterm elections. Thank you. And be sure to tune in to CNBC's election night special. Business on the ballot starts tonight at 7 Eastern with the business topics at play in the midterms and how the results can impact your money. All right, time now to get a check on the morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Foxconn is expanding its investment in Lordstown Motors. The pair announcing Foxconn plans to spend $170 million to buy common stock and newly created preferred shares in the EV maker. The investment provides fresh capital for Lordstown as it works to increase production of its debut truck model. Foxconn and Lordstown also announcing they will jointly develop their first electric vehicle together, but did not elaborate further on that project. Shares of Lordstown surging in the pre-market. Meantime, Virgin Orbit getting a fresh cash injection from Richard Branson's Virgin Group as it faces shrinking cash reserves. Virgin Orbit revealing alongside its third quarter results that Branson's company, an existing shareholder, made an additional $25 million investment last week. Virgin Orbit also lowering its forecast for launches this year from four to six to just three now. And Shares of Nintendo rising, meantime, in overseas trading after the video game maker raised its full year earnings guidance. The company reporting its first half net uh, profit rose 34 percent from a year ago, thanks in part to stronger sales of software and games for its Switch console and a weaker yen. But Nintendo also cutting its forecast for Switch sales this year as ongoing semiconductor shortages weigh on production. And Frank, uh, don't know when that that uh, jackpot is going to go off, but I'm here until then. Yeah, until speaking my of, winning numbers. Speaking of cash reserves, Bertha, uh, I'll be here if I win, just for like a week <laughs> to get all my stuff set up, and then I'm just going to very quietly walk away. 
our Bertha Coombs. We'll see you later in the show. Because so you think it'll only take a week. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you got to get everything <laughs> set up. But we'll see you later in the show because, again, you didn't win yet. So we'll see you in about a half yeah. an hour. All right, turning our attention back to the broader markets as investors gear up for the monthly CPI print later this week. Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin saying yesterday the central bank will persist in its efforts to tame inflation and it will not halt rate hikes prematurely. Quote, no matter what disruptions occur, this ahead of the Federal Reserve's December meeting where investors are anticipating a fifth straight interest rate hike. For much more on this, let's bring in Joseph Fami, Managing Director at Zor Capital. Good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right, we know you didn't win the Powerball either, but we're going to have to talk a little bit of business. We're going to talk a lot of money, actually. Three big potential market movers this week. The midterm elections today, the CPI print, and of course, earnings. We had Disney after the bell, along with a number of other countries. Which one do you think has the biggest impact on the markets today and this week in general? Uh, I think it's the CPI report because a big reason for the decline in the markets this year has to do with the Fed. Uh, the last two times I was on, I mentioned that we're unlikely to see a sustained uptrend until the Fed verbally announces that they are stopping or at least pausing their current rate hiking cycle. And I stick to that because traditionally and historically, when the Fed is raising rates and taking liquidity out of the system, the markets seem to struggle with any sort of sustained upside. And Fed Chair Powell has made it perfectly clear that his priority is to fight inflation. So that CPI report is going to be important. He's even okay or seems to be okay with the markets going, uh, the economy going into a recession. And he certainly doesn't want the markets going higher. Proof of that is when the markets started to rally in July, August, he was very hawkish with his tone at Jackson Hole. And last week when the markets started to rally, he repeated uh, his, his priority to fight inflation. Yeah, you know, we also, again, heard from Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin using the P word, but this time it's premature, not pause or pivot, as a lot of investors may hope that the Fed would say. So my real question to you is, how does this shape your investing thesis, hearing these hawkish uh, tones from Fed officials, especially these new comments? What sectors or stocks are you bullish on? Which ones are you kind of you are pivoting away from? Yeah, I think the takeaway is for investors to remain patient and remain defensive. To your point about in last week's press conference, uh, Fed Chair Powell did use a lot of those terms of we have a ways to go and it's too premature to talk about a pause. So there's a reason Marty Zweig came up with the expression, don't fight the Fed. Uh, right now, it seems as if defensive sectors, energy seems to be one of the strongest sectors out there. But as far as growth stocks, Investors are going to have to be patient until we get a little bit more clarity from the Fed. It might take two or three months of inflation data, specifically the inflation data, to successively come down before we get any hints of any pause uh, from the Fed. So you, you kind of hit on something I want to ask you about. I want to talk a little bit of tech. Um, obviously, tech stocks have been hit by rising rates and also concerns about a recession, especially those mega cap names. They've seen some slowing growth in some key areas like cloud. Wouldn't this be the time to buy the dip? I mean, is this an opportunity to buy right now? Yeah, that's a great point. It really depends on your time frame, trader or investor. If you are looking at, if you've done some due diligence on some of these companies that uh, a lot of the bad news seems to be priced in, that their profit margins are coming down with big tech and so forth, there's a few things. Number one is, if you're looking to scale into them, I would start uh, small. And then number two is, accept that you might need to add if things do get a little bit worse. And number three is because of overhead resistance, meaning people who have purchased at a higher price, you're going to have to accept and be patient that it's going to take some time 
for these uh, stocks to come back. So uh, it really just depends on your time frame if you're more value oriented or, or growth oriented. Yeah, something that's certainly wise. The triple Q's, the track, the NASDAQ 100 down 32% year to date. A lot of people taking that opportunity to buy. But you say if you do buy, you got to stay patient. Joseph Famey, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. All right, Thank when we you. come, frustrations boiling over in China as residents clash with authorities enforcing COVID restrictions. We're live in Beijing with the very latest. Plus, your morning's big money movers, including shares of Lyft, diving ahead of the open, the concerning signals to have investors hitting sell, and the boom for the bottom line of oil companies, providing fresh fodder for lawmakers looking to crack down on billions in profits. We dive into how those companies are spending that money amid increasing scrutiny. We're going to have that and much, much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Turning our attention to China and reports of emerging clashes between residents and authorities trying to enforce the country's zero COVID policies. Police in the northeastern part of China reportedly arresting people over that violence as leaders face growing backlash over the strict measures. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with much more on this story. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Frank. Well, Chinese police have confirmed that they've arrested seven people. And this is after a video surfaced online, which appeared to show uh, seven hazmat suited pandemic workers beating up two uh, residences. Now, that video has been censored online, but the tensions around the zero COVID policy remain, including at the Foxconn factory in central China. An interesting development there. Uh, China appears to be moving into hyperdrive to try to get the iPhone city back up and running. Uh, Official media have been reporting that the search for uh, workers to uh, supply the Foxconn plant has gone beyond the city and to the province. So uh, provincial officials have now been enlisted to track down experienced workers mainly from the Foxconn plant and to try to convince them to go back with special bonuses that can reach um, as high as $420 and 20% wage increases. Now, this shows the intensifying conflict between the government's priorities of zero COVID and economic growth. So for the most part, zero COVID has been winning out, and it's still not clear exactly how the Foxconn situation is going to play out. Uh, a seven-day lockdown of the industrial zone that houses that Foxconn facility is set to lift on Wednesday, and the case count, the daily case count, has doubled uh, from yesterday to 733. So um, we don't know, uh, uh, Frank, whether or not that lift down if that lockdown is going to lift. And if it doesn't, it means that it's just going to be another delay for those Foxconn workers to enter the plant. So, Eunice, what's the latest on Guangzhou and his decision to expand mass testing there? 
Well, the latest on that is that Guangzhou, which is a huge uh, center for manufacturing and technology, has expanded its mass testing to, to nine districts and also extended the lockdown of one area. People are quite nervous uh, because they're worried about the spread. Again, the numbers are jumping. Um, they're in the thousands and from a global standard that really isn't a whole lot, but from a Chinese standard, it's enough to get people wondering if Guangzhou could be the next uh, Shanghai uh, in terms of a lockdown. And that's something that, that nobody wants to see. All right, our Eunice Yoon live in Beijing. Thank you again, Eunice. Still on deck, gauging the potential market impact of the midterm elections, Ed Mills of Raymond James. He lays out the potential outcomes and, of course, what they could mean for your money. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories of the morning. First up is Lyft, the company reporting record third quarter revenue thanks to higher prices and increases in long trips as airport rides recover. But shares are down double digits, down more than 18 percent right now as the company attracted fewer customers in the quarter. And its fourth quarter revenue guidance is below analyst estimates as user growth slows. Lyft president John Zimmer will be on Squawk Box in a first on CNBC interview at 8.50 a.m. Eastern. Stock two, take two interactive. Shares are dropping, also down 18 percent as the video game maker swung to a third quarter loss and revenue missed forecast. Take two is also cutting its outlook for bookings this year due to pipeline shifts and weaker than expected mobile and in-game spending. Take two CEO Strauss Zelnick was on Squawk Box in an exclusive interview just after 7 a.m. Eastern. Stock three, TripAdvisor, third quarter earnings, missing forecasts, although revenue beat estimates online. You can see shares are down almost 20 percent. The online travel company says currency headwinds impacted revenue by more than $30 million. TripAdvisor says its results show demand continues for travel and for dining. Finally, 5.9, the maker of call center software reporting adjusted third quarter earnings that beat estimates as revenue rose nearly 30 percent. But the company's revenue guidance for the fourth quarter and the full year is short of analyst expectations. The stock is down roughly 70 percent this year. This morning, down almost 13 percent. Oil and gas companies in hot water with some in Washington as they rake in billions in profit while energy prices remain elevated, pinching consumers. President Biden has called it war profiteering. Our Pippa Stevens joins us now with a look at how those profits stack up. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Well, chief in focus is how much companies are returning to shareholders relative to how much they're investing in new production. As data from Deloitte shows, about 50% of oil companies' cash now goes to CapEx, which is down from roughly 80% in 2014. But as you can see, companies had started to reduce spending prior to the pandemic following years of lackluster performance. At the same time, capital return via dividends and buybacks is now a priority. Across the industry, about 30% of cash now goes to shareholders, up from roughly 15 percent in 2013. 
Volatile prices, calls for peak oil demand and shareholders looking for a return means companies aren't investing in new output as readily as before. As you can see, it's really down across the board. Now, this year, Exxon plans to spend roughly $22.5 billion in total on capital and exploration expenditures, with Chevron's at $15 billion. Now, to put those numbers in context, during the third quarter, Exxon posted record net income of $19.7 billion dollars. Chevron reported $11.2 billion in total earnings during Q3, the second highest ever. However, these results do follow record losses during the pandemic. The White House is also focused on buybacks, which are surging across the industry as companies have more cash on hand. Exxon's repurchased $10.5 billion worth of shares this year. Chevron has spent $7.5 billion on buybacks through the end of September. And Wall Street seems to like what it's hearing, Frank, with both stocks hitting record highs yesterday. So, Pippa, what are the oil and gas companies saying in response to the administration? Are they planning to grow production? Well, they are highlighting areas where there is growth, including in the Permian Basin. But look, Frank, they're saying that this is really a cyclical industry. And so, you know, you invest despite the ups and the downs of the cycles. And so they say that they're investing today, but, you know, we're not going to see the impacts of that until further down the line. And they're also facing the same inflationary pressures that we're seeing across the economy with things like labor. Uh, And then finally, you know, a a common talking point here has been the administration's seeming flip-flop. And so President Biden, of course, ran on this green energy agenda, and now he's called calling for more oil production. And so executives from oil and gas companies say that with this seemingly flip-flopping policy, it's really hard to focus on those long-term decisions with everyone calling at this point for peak oil. Our, our Pippa Stevens with the latest on big oil. Pippa, thank you. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the growing surge of layoffs in Silicon Valley. Fast company Stephanie Meta lays out what those steep job cuts may signal for the tech sector's road ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stocks looking to extend a win streak to three in a row after notching solid gains yesterday. Americans set to head to the polls and cast their votes in today's midterm elections. Ed Mills of Raymond James, he's standing by with the likely outcomes and what those outcomes could mean for the market. And no winner, no drawing even. The security issues that forced Powerball officials to put a stop to last night's $1.9 billion drawing. And I just bought my ticket. It's Tuesday, November 8th, Election Day here in the U.S. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Happy Election Day here in the U.S. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up on this Election Day. Futures right now in the green. You see right now the Dow could open up. About 25, 30 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq also fractionally higher ahead of the midterm elections that begin later today. We also want to check the bond market right now. This has been a hot button issue for this election. The rising cost of things right now, we're still seeing this inverted yield curve with the two-year note about the yield here about 4% higher than it was at the start of the year. The 10-year note at 4.201. This yield about 2.5% higher than the year started. Uh, Again, another issue for the elections here. And also turning to energy, another hot button issue, the rising cost of heating oil and, of course, gasoline. Right now, we're seeing WTI at above 90 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at above 96 bucks a barrel. Important to note, this is well off the highs of the year. The highs of the year for WTI were about 120 a barrel, both of them down about a percent this morning. 
All right, let's get a check on the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Goumide, he's live in the London newsroom with much more on that. Kind of a switch, Arabile. Today, all eyes are on the politics here in the U.S. instead of over there in the U.K. Yeah, so a bit of a mixed picture then coming through from the market, right? But Asian trading did head a little bit higher off uh, today, a little bit of a digestion then from the Bank of Japan's uh, sort of opinions of their meeting. Uh, the Monetary Policy Committee there having, of course, decided to keep rates on hold uh, the last time out when they had their interest rates decision. So a bit of a digestion of that. On the European front, it started off a little bit mixed with uh, more negative tint, but Things have gone uh, slightly more positive. It is a cautious optimism, though, as we head towards uh, those midterm elections. Uh, of course, investors worried about just which direction things will go. The economy, inflation, all of those being key elements then uh, that are being focused on uh, in this election. Uh, could then the Democrats lose the House? And if they lose the Senate as well, then that becomes, of course, slightly different. We have, of course, even heard word from the likes of Elon Musk uh, weighing in on this election saying that uh, a Republican Congress would uh, really help the tech sector somewhat is the sense we're getting from his tweet as he said that uh, many should be voting Republican, even though he has voted Democrat in the past. So really interesting market picture, a little bit mixed for now, but it does point towards some slight positivity. Those midterms, certainly the key focus area. Our Arabile Goumide, live in our London newsroom. Thank you for that. All right, let's stick with the midterm elections here in the U.S. as Americans prepare to head to the polls and cast their ballots. Democratic and Republican candidates delivering their closing arguments as both sides fight for control of Congress in what is expected to be a very close contest. For much more on what to expect and what investors need to watch, let's bring in Ed Mills, Raymond James, Washington policy analyst. Great to have you here, Ed. It's great to be here, Frank. So this morning, markets are moving slightly higher, fractionally higher ahead of the midterms. What do you see as the most likely outcome today? Yeah, Frank, uh, at Raymond James, we published our most likely outcome is a Republican sweep. Um, that's really based upon our belief that Republicans are very well positioned in the House of Representatives. Uh, they need to flip five seats. An average midterm election, that's 23 seats. So even an average midterm election should have Republicans doing well uh, in the House. Uh, in the Senate, it's much closer, Frank. Um, and we give a, a slight edge uh, to Republicans uh, based upon kind of some of the momentum we've seen, but it really is a debate right now in terms of is it a red wave or are we going to see a blue wall of support from, from Democrats? So the Senate's much less certain, um, kind of closer to that toss-up. I think we'll look back and say, oh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it was clearly the result. But there's still a decent amount of uncertainty, Frank, in, in terms of what the Senate makeup will be um, and we probably could see this break one way or the other once votes start getting counted later today. You know, Ed, you mentioned uncertainty. I think it's a lot of uncertainty of what the real key issue for this midterm election is. Obviously, Roe v. Wade's one hot button issue. But there's also a lot of economic concerns, the rising cost of inflation, a lot of middle class and working class people having a hard time making ends meet. Where do those economic concerns rank in the top issues for voters? Yeah, Frank, we, we've hosted pollsters at Raymond James, and we've kind of really seen that uh, over the course of the last month or two, um, the in, you know, kind of economic uh, indicators have really been the top concern of voters. That's part of our analysis. Um, we will see kind of what that actually translates into. Um, we do have a lot of Democrats who are outperforming uh, the approval rating of Joe Biden in this election. And so it is a number of X factors. You mentioned the uh, Supreme Court ruling on abortion. 
that certainly is going to make up a kind of a key part of the outcome of this election as well. So th those uncertainties, Franks, are really kind of part of the reason why, um, you know, kind of the vote today, uh, you know, is going to be higher than an average midterm election. Um, and I think really the debate there is that normally high turnout has been viewed as favorable to Democrats. But when we look back at the last couple of elections, we've had high turnouts that have been both good for Republicans and Democrats. So a lot of the conventional wisdom of elections have really been upended uh, in the last uh, you know, two, three election cycles. You know, you took a phrase right out of my mouth, conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is that gridlock in Washington is good for the markets. Your most likely scenario would be technically gridlock. It would be the Republicans taking control of both houses, a Democratic president. But in this case, do you see that that same trend playing out that this, quote unquote, gridlock will be positive for the markets or will investors see it that way? Frank, I think the most important thing for the market is that the midterms will be over. Uh, we look back in that on average. Um, the S&P 500 in the last 30 years has been weak in midterm years, and it starts rallying around the first week of October through the end of the year. We look back in six months after the election, every midterm election since 1950, the S&P 500 has been up. And so I think what we see oftentimes, Frank, is that we have so many different potential outcomes that we shut down and the market doesn't like that uncertainty. And once we have an outcome, we can bookend that risk. We can look at what the real issues are. We're going to have a lot of those play out in the lame duck. There's still plenty of things that can get done, even in a divided Congress. Uh, we have a debt limit, which is going to be the big market focus mid-year next year. Um, and so from a market perspective, we want this to be over so we can focus <laughs> on other things. Well, Ed, right now, while you're talking, we're showing a chart right now with the S&P basically flat, fractionally higher since Joe Biden took office. We'll have all eyes on the midterms. Thanks for getting up early with us. I know you have a long day ahead of you. We appreciate the insight. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. All right. For all of you at home, be sure to tune in to CNBC's election night special business on the ballot starting tonight at 7 Eastern. We're going to hit all the business topics at play in the midterms and how those results could impact your money. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those because, again, the Powerball drawing didn't happen, Bertha. You're going to have to stick with us just for a little while longer. Just for a little while, Frank. Let's start off with NVIDIA reportedly rolling out a new chip to China that gets around new U.S. rules prohibiting exports to that country. According to Reuters, the semiconductor marks the first effort by a U.S. chip company to create an advanced processor for China that follows those regulations by the Biden administration. Reuters says NVIDIA declined comment on whether it consulted the Commerce Department about that new chip. Meantime, a federal judge has denied Elizabeth Holmes' bid for a new trial. The judge, who oversaw the Theranos founder's original trial, ruled that her arguments for a new proceeding did not introduce new evidence or establish government misconduct, adding that a new trial was unlikely to result in an acquittal. Holmes is scheduled to be sentenced next Friday. Meanwhile, her former Theranos partner, Sonny Balwani, was granted a three-week delay in his sentencing. And as we've been talking about this morning, last night's drawing for that record $1.9 billion Powerball jackpot delayed. Officials say the move was made because one state had issues processing sales. The Lottery Association declined to say which state was impacted. The winning numbers and recorded video of the drawing are expected to be posted to the Powerball website and YouTube channel later 
today. You know it's going to come out. And wouldn't you hate to be that state? But it, it <laughs> kind of shows when the numbers get this big, it's kind of hard to keep track of all of it. You know, absolutely. I don't even believe in the lottery. It just seems like silly. Just uh, the odds are so against you. But even I had to buy a ticket. $1.9 billion. So, right? Bertha, seriously, I don't think you'd really quit. But what would you do with all that money? Um, I would probably talk to Jim Cramer about setting up a charitable trust. Yeah. I mean, how fantastic would that be to be able to give that much money to all of your your causes? Um, I would set up, you know, family trusts as well. And I would travel <laughs> for sure. All right. All solid plans. You know what? I, honestly, Bertha, I think I would. If you've ever seen DuckTales, I think I'd be like Scrooge McDuck and I'd have a pool filled with money and just dive in there. <laughs> I really would. At first, I would do something responsible later. <laughs> But I think I just jump in there at first. All right, Bertha Coombs, great to see you. You're yeah. stuck with us for now, <laughs> at least until that YouTube link uh, goes live. Thanks a lot. All right, your morning RBI coming up and how rising rates could stand to wipe out trillions from the American housing market. That's next when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time for something random but interesting. For that, we send it out to Brian Sullivan. Happy Tuesday, Election Day. Let's do an RBI for you this morning, something that we found random but interesting, particularly when it comes to money in markets. And this one is fascinating and maybe even a little scary because it has to do with a market that is far bigger than the stock market. That is real estate. America's housing market is big, really big. Zillow recently estimated the entire American housing market is worth a combined $40 trillion, or at least it was. And that's the problem with this interest rate spike. It is likely going to do significant damage to housing, maybe even wipe out trillions of total value. Look at this incredible chart from Deutsche Bank. This is what they calculated that you could afford to pay for a home if you had 20% down and a $2,500 per month budget. Now, as recently as just over a year ago, that amount of money, 20% down, $2,500 a month, would get you a house worth about $725,000. Low rates making that monthly payment go a lot further. But now look what's happening. Higher rates, they are crushing affordability. Deutsche Bank notes that with the same amount down, 20%, your $2,500 a month payment would now get you a house worth only around four hundred and fifty. dollars thousand dollars a nearly three hundred thousand dollar drop in what you can afford and after adjusting for inflation and time deutsche bank also found that in some respects affordability is now lower than it was even back in 1980 when mortgage rates were 12 and 14 percent because home prices haven't really fallen that much yet and yet of course is the key because if that chart is accurate unless you're an all-cash buyer who doesn't care about borrowing costs It's hard not to see how home prices in many areas may be coming down and coming down a lot. Unless the amount of money you are willing or able to spend goes up, real estate could have a tough road. Random, but interesting. All right. Several big tech companies have announced layoffs or hiring freezes in recent weeks. Now, Meta Platforms is reportedly set to join that list with large-scale job cuts that could be announced as soon as tomorrow. That follows Twitter, which slashed roughly half of its workforce last week. After years of booming profits, tech companies are being forced to rein in their costs to prepare for a possible recession. According to Crunchbase, as of the end of October, more than 45,000 workers in the U.S. tech sector 
have been laid off so far this year. That includes the workers at Microsoft, Intel, Lyft, Coinbase, Shopify, and Snap. Apple and Amazon have reportedly ordered hiring freezes. Let's talk more about this now with Stephanie Mehta, CEO of Fast Company. Good morning, Stephanie. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. All right, so very serious stuff. People losing their livelihood, of course, a very serious topic. Um, you're of the mind that what we're seeing at Meta and Twitter, those are special cases, but we're looking at a lot of other big tech companies like Microsoft, Lyft, Netflix, for example, and use a phrase I was very surprised to hear you use. You said the leaders there were getting high on their own supply. Exactly what does that mean in this context? Well, throughout the pandemic, we saw a lot of technology companies not unjustifiably um, singing the praises of technology transformation, the need for, particularly in the enterprise technology space, the need to do more spending. To the, we would, they were seeing their customers really um, invest in technology. And I think there was a sense that this kind of growth would go on in perpetuity. And in fact, what we're seeing is that as we come out of the pandemic, you know, look at e-commerce, for example. I mean, you know, um, Shopify and Amazon are two companies that we're seeing um, reflect the slowdown in e-commerce activity, in part because we are seeing people return to stores. We are seeing people, you know, diversify their spending. And so, the kind of growth that we saw during the pandemic, which had been the silver lining of the pandemic for so much of the economy and so much of the stock market, I, I, that, that growth was not sustainable. And so I think that companies in the technology spe- sector sort of um, invested and um, planned for that kind of growth in perpetuity. And we're obviously seeing that slowdown. Yeah, I mean, absolutely a slowdown. That's not a question. I actually cover the tech sector myself. And when you see their, they, do, they do their earnings reports, see a lot of companies that just aren't profitable quite yet. We cover them. They have a lot of growth, but the profitability isn't there. How much of a factor is that in all of this? I think it's absolutely a factor. I mean, I think it's, it, frankly, to me, it's quite surprising the number of, and these are not the big tech companies, but that sort of enterprise technology company that's just a couple of layers below the Microsofts and the, and the Amazons. You know, I'm thinking about companies like Okta and Twilio and Atlassian. I mean, these companies became household names, again, during the pandemic because they were enabling some of that productivity that we needed. But, you know, these companies have been around for decades in some cases, and have yet to show profits. And yet they're public companies. I think investors are saying, hey, it's time to start showing profitable growth. So, Stephanie, you're coining a lot of phrases this morning. I love the notes that you sent us. So you said there's a quote unquote vibe economy. I didn't realize it. I'm a big time consumer in the vibe economy. Can you explain what vibe economy companies are and what characteristics they all share and how investors are reacting to them now? Well, I think there were these companies that went public again, you know, many of them went public during the pandemic. Again, these are companies um, that are household names. I'm thinking of companies like Sweetgreen, um, Oatly. These are companies that, again, have been around for a fairly long time, went public without profits. And it's hard for me to see what their path to profitability is unless we see some of the the, the cuts that we're starting to see uh, take place in the tech sector. And so it was almost like, you know, these companies went public on on the hopes and the vibe that they would, you know, eventually find their way to growth. But, you know, if you're a company that's been around for a decade, you are not achieving the economies of scale that come from, you know, growing at a rapid rate and that you're not sort of, you know, you're, you're not able to show profitability you know, for I think a lot of the reporters that cover these companies, the question is, when will you show profits? Yeah. You know, I got to be honest, I'm a big fan of the vibe economy. I didn't realize until today, Stephanie. So one last question. We're talking about e-commerce. Um, that's something that's seen um, some layoffs and the, some of those companies have struggled. But in general, it's a pretty sticky trend going forward. Should we expect to see more layoffs when it comes to e-commerce focused companies, including Amazon? 
You know, with a lot of these big companies, I think what you will see is layoffs in areas where they see the growth slowing or where they see that they can create more efficiencies. I mean, I think, you know, you look at an Amazon and clearly, you know, wherever they can find ways to automate instead of using manual labor, they're going to be finding efficiencies there. But, you know, I I don't count these e-commerce giants out. I mean, Amazon will find a new area of growth and they're going to need to hire in new areas. So, you know, in the same way that I think, you know, Meta is going through um, some layoffs, but they're going through a business process transformation, um, a business model transformation. And so, you know, while there may be layoffs in mature businesses, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has made a big bet on the metaverse. And I imagine that he's going to continue to make human capital investments in the areas that he believes in. Yeah, when it comes to that metaverse investment, I don't know about the vibe around that. A lot of investors not feeling that vibe. Stephanie Meta with valuable insight and a vibe. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Vance Howard lays out the election day trading session ahead and the stocks that are on his shopping list. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you miss Brian Sullivan, check it out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Here is what is on the agenda for Wall Street and Main Street as both gear up for Election Day in just a few minutes. We're going to get the October NFIB Small Business Survey at 6 o'clock Eastern. Also watching out for earnings from Walt Disney. That's going to be a big one after the bell, DuPont and Norwegian Cruise Line. All right, with another busy day ahead, let's see how the markets are shaping up. Futures right now in the green fraction. The Dow looks like it could open up. Just about 40 points higher. The Nasdaq, actually, the best performer so far, up about a third of a percent. Joining me now is Vance Howard, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Howard Capital Management. Vance, great to have you here. Hey, good morning. How are you? All right, Vance, we're going to start it off. How do you see this day shaping up? Midterm elections expected to have some impact on the markets. We just had a guest on earlier today that said there's a 90 percent chance that Republicans are going to win both houses. How do you see things? You know, it's an interesting call. Anytime we have these elections, you get so burned out on listening to them, you're just glad when they're over. But, yeah, I think that the Republicans got a very strong chance to uh, to take the House. You know, we'll see what happens in the Senate. Will it make an impact on the market? Yeah, probably, probably it will. I mean, let's face it, the past two years haven't been that, that great uh, for, for, the, for investors and for anybody as, as a whole. So, yeah, there's going to be some opportunity, I think, coming out of this. But I would still be very, very cautious. The trend of the market is still negative, and there's still a lot of headwinds ahead of us. So caution should be your, your key word today, even with the new, with the new elections that, that are going to take place today. Well, Vance, really quick, you said last two years. I think it's more been like the last year. 2021 seemed to be a pretty good year, yeah. wasn't it? Well, that's true, too. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I would say the last year has been pretty pretty tough, but it has been pretty hard on folks. But it has created a lot of opportunity. You know, the, the trend of the market's down. Our proprietary indicator, the HCM byline's down. So until that changes, you know, caution should be the word of the day. You know, when you look at different ETFs, and I was looking at one the other day, like Bill, the one to three month treasury, that's just a notch above cash. Mm-hmm. But they, they've had massive inflows. You know, billions of dollars have come into that ETF. So there's a tremendous amount of cash on the sidelines for opportunities that will present themselves. But, you know, this election we get it out of the way. We start to see if we get some changes that may be made that may be positive for the uh, for the economy and for the for the headwinds that we're facing right now. So okay. we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting day at an interesting horse race, as it always is. Yeah, interesting might be a euphemism for this day today. Um, so it sounds like you're of the mind that gridlock in D.C. with Republicans controlling Congress and a Democratic president was going to be potentially good for the markets. I want to talk to you about your portfolio and how the midterms might change it. Um, right now, you're in a 60-40 portfolio, but certainly not the traditional one. You're 40 percent cash. 
We are. We're, we're very heavy in cash. Like I said, you know, the HCM byline is negative, which is our trend indicator. It's negative. I'd be very cautious. Don't fight the trend. You know, they always say don't fight the Fed. Well, the trend's down. Don't fight that either. And, and I would also be very, very cautious of being dogmatic about of when you want to reenter the market because the trend will change. And that's going to be a very big indicator of when you want to start to take trades again, whether it's Microsoft, Apple, even, you know, big stocks like that, or if you want to roll back into tech. You know, I, I'm real cautious to be cautious on other manager and big banks. These big banks have been coming out with a number of where the market's going to go to. Well, I can tell you, they don't know. Nobody knows the answer to that. So the trend is critical to this. The trend is down. So be very, very cautious. But our, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. Some of these stocks have been truly beaten up. And I mean, I think if you invested in them right this morning, even though we're sitting on a lot of cash, we'll still sit on a lot of cash till the trend change. If you, if you bought them this morning, I think you'd be really happy two to three years out. Hey, Vance, really quick, I want to explain the HCM byline. This is your company's proprietary quantitative investment indicator to determine when you should be in or out of the market. It's got one of those R's with a circle around it. So you're like a registered trademark, I'm assuming. Uh, I just want to explain it to the audience. So you're saying that trend shows you need to get out of the market at least right now this morning, right? You need to reduce exposure to equities. There's no doubt about it because you're fighting the trend. The trend is negative right now. The short, the intermediate, and the long-term trend, all three are negative. Okay. So when you're fighting that trend, you're really fighting a lot of headwinds, and the odds are not in your favor to win. And you got to take the emotion out of investing. Everybody gets so emotional about it. When the trend's negative, take some money off the table. And by the way, cash isn't a bad thing in a bear market. That's cash true. is a That's wonderful true. thing because some of these stocks like Meta – my goodness, you can pick them up on you know pennies on the dollars now, and they're, they're not going to go away. Meta's not going to go out of business. They may change their business model, but some of these are just terrific opportunities for long-term investors. All right, Vance, well, I've got to let you go in just a second, but one last word. What's the one sector that you think people should be invested in from now? It's obviously before the midterm elections throughout the end of the year. Which sector are you the most bullish on? Uh, I would play it with an ETF like DVY. I would play the high, high uh, value, high dividend paying stocks right now. They're holding up better than anything else. But I got to tell you, the first or second quarter, if the trend changes, technology is going to be a roaring buy. All right, Vance Howard, we got to leave it there. Thank you for the insight and for your time and waking up with us on this election day. We appreciate you being here. Hey. Good morning. Right. Thank Futures you. right now pretty much flat. The Dow looks like pretty much flat. Could open about 40 points higher. The Nasdaq, the best performer, up about a third of a percent. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Everything in the green heading into Squawk Box. Joe Becky and Andrew, take it from here. Thanks for watching. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.